So let's read um, Genesis 4. So, verse 1. Now Adam knew his knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mehujael, and Mehujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naama. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold, seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. 
for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So, it's interesting in verse 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So isn't it interesting that Eve, the lady who Satan deceived, is still giving thanks and praise and has faith in the Lord that this gift of the son came from the Lord. So even though she was deceived and recognized it it appears like she recognized what had happened and now she's still giving thanks and praise to the lord and i'm reminded that that's what i should be doing every day no matter how things turn out during the day or at the end of the day if we were given a day we have the lord to thank for that and whatever gift he gives if it's a house, a car, um, food, a job, uh, a firstborn son. Um, Let's give him thanks. The other thing that kind of strikes me here is why wasn't a comment made from Adam or why wasn't it recorded? Like Eve is giving thanks and praise, but Adam isn't to be heard from. So that's interesting, and I think that's kind of a clue, uh, perhaps, as to how and why the events between Cain and Abel unfold here. So let's go on. Verse 2. Then she bore again this time his brother, Abel, which I understand Abel could mean breath, And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So what I picture here is, and maybe you can daydream with me a little bit, is Cain brings this, like, beautiful platter of, like, leeks and onions, carrots, potatoes, uh, grains, all sorts of, like, wheat and barley and things that would grow from the ground, which they're all very healthy and you know they're they're edifying to us and probably visually pleasing like i could see all the different colors of the vegetables and um all probably very neatly arranged on the platter so bear with me a minute i think you know you'll get where i'm going in just a minute so All right, so in verse 4, Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock. 
And then let's go down to verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, well, I'm sorry, verse 5. So he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And then verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So those words should sound a little familiar with us or for to us if you turn back to chapter 3 and we can start at verse 1 so chapter 3 verse 1 now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the lord god had made and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat for the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I want to stop there for a minute. I just can't help chuckle every time I read this that... It's our human nature to try to find a solution for our own problems in our own way, in our own strength. And a lot of times it just isn't the way God wanted us to work things out. He wants us to come to him first. And when we don't, the consequences are typically more severe and more out of control than if we had just paused and waited and prayed and asked God for assistance. So verse 8 of chapter 3, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Now remember this phrase um, for later, because here we have Adam making excuses for a choice that he was already taught by the Lord that he shouldn't have made. So verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And see, there's another, it's like pointing fingers. <laughs> so, verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust. 
all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, that's Jesus, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Here's the phrase, your, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So as God said to Cain, sin's crouching at the door, and it desires you. And in a way, that's what God is saying here, that um, in a picture of the possibilities of being led astray. I mean, in his perfect way, he wants um, perfect love and perfect unity within marriages and in in his time and in his miraculous way he will strengthen a relationship and grow a relationship and make it beautiful here we see that adam and eve had that beautiful relationship and that strong relationship not only with themselves but with god and then they broke that because of the sin so Back to chapter 4. I think, if I can get there, I want to get to my notes. Oh. Okay. So let's read that again. So, if chapter 4, verse 7... If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So, this struck me because God is kind of giving Cain a, a way out. And I think I mentioned it last time I was up here. God always gives us an exit strategy. And... It's always good. The consequences of it are good and better than what we could um, work out on our own. Um, So I want to set the stage a little bit as to what's going to happen. Um, Let's turn to Leviticus 1, which is to the right in your Bible, a couple books. So in Cain's perspective, which I think is what we're getting here, he felt the Lord was upset with him just because he didn't maybe make a fanfare or he gave some cues to Abel and Cain that Abel's uh, actions were more pleasing than Cain's. And so let's read um, Leviticus 1, verse 1 down to verse 9 or so. So, verse 1. Now the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, 
Let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall watch its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And I love that. So that shows us that the Lord is watching what we do. He gives us um, direction, even though this was after um, Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve. The Lord's always looking to give us instruction and to give us a way that uh, in obedience it pleases him. When we obey, it pleases him. So let's go to the second chapter of Leviticus. So the difference here that um, is being shown to us is um, a sacrifice of blood versus a sacrifice of um, grain or um, fruit of the land. And both are acceptable, but the books here tell us how these in their own way are pleasing to the Lord. So Leviticus chapter 2, we'll start with verse 1, and we'll go a little ways down, maybe uh, verse 14. So Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1, When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. And that should sound familiar to us. Pouring oil is a kind of a type of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves. And then the frankincense, that creates the aroma. Um, so, verse 2. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Let's stop there. So if you remember, when we take communion, um, we have the wafers, 
and some can be uh, machine formed and they're nice and round and perfect, which is cool because the Lord is perfect. And I, the symmetry of that, you know, that can speak to us. But there's also matzah, which when broken, um, when we look at it, it's pierced, it's broken. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of burnt around the edges. And that speaks to Jesus' suffering. And this passage here kind of shows a type of that and, and a symbolism um, by offering of what that grain and what that bread um, constitutes, which is a symbol of God's body. Whereas the burnt offering and the blood on the altar and the sacrifice of the animals um, is a type or a, a representation of God's blood shed for us and to cover our sins. So I don't think we'll read farther than that. Um, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 8. So verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now the terminology there, talked, is sometimes translated as he convinced or he um, encouraged or persuaded Abel to go out to the field. So verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? To me, this is a picture of the enemy. A lot of times, um, just in our everyday life, and examples I've had are, like I'm talking with someone at work, and it almost seems like there's, a perfect time, like a question comes up or some sort of a comment where you can say something to the effect uh, or, or related to God or your faith and, and knowing Jesus, but all of a sudden, somebody comes in and like interrupts a conversation. And it's like, dang, that was a chance. And I mean, I'm not going to give all credit to the enemy because the Lord has his ways too. But it just seems ironic that um, here we see, to me, like a picture of Cain just deciding, well, I'm not happy. I don't want, you know, able to one-up me anymore. So I'm just going to eliminate the threat, so to speak. So for whatever reason, Cain thought Abel was a threat. Um, and yet Abel seemed to understand the concepts. And I wonder, I'm just wondering here aloud because it doesn't say, again, it doesn't say where, you know, what Adam might have been doing with his sons. Was he leaving them to just free will by themselves? Or was he actually instructing them as a good father does, just like our Lord does? 
Was he spending time with them, just like our Lord wants us to spend time with him, to get to know him, to become um, more aware of him and what you know he, he's asking us to do and to hear his voice? And the comment that Cain makes, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? It kind of reminds me of what Adam said to the Lord when he and Eve were in the garden and they had ate, eaten. He said, the woman that you gave to me, she's the one that gave me, you know, to eat. And it's like he just pointed fingers there and instead of admitting and it just seems like even when the lord already knows the answer and we admit that we've sinned immediately he's like right there and he's willing to forgive us and he's willing to help us out when we ask for the help but when we ignore things which is kind of what i feel cain is doing here it doesn't go well <laughs> So, so verse 10 so God said what have you done the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground so now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand when you till the ground I shall no longer yield its strength to you a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Ironically, um, I think the definition for the land of Nod is has something to do with wandering or like a wilderness. So verse 13, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And isn't that just like us, our human nature, when we finally recognize that we've screwed up or blundered or whatever, we go into this, woe is me, everything is going to be awful, there's no way out of this. This is going to be bad. It's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. And that's not true. That's just not true. Because here um, in verse 15, the Lord turns right around. It isn't like Cain, it isn't written here. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, Lord, I have sinned, like Saul does later on. But the Lord immediately turns around in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. I mean, isn't that awesome? He set a mark. That's protection. It's like, the God, like God put his shield of protection and his hedge of protection around him right away. And I want to remind you of um, Jeremiah 29:11, <clears throat> where God says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And again, there's that exit strategy. Cain was thinking the worst, 
and God in his loving kindness and grace and mercy actually does the opposite and protects him. And then also in Romans 12, verse 19, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So the Lord has a plan, and he will do what is necessary to work through his plan, and he'll take care of our enemies, and he'll always give us other options. The main one is to repent and turn and to follow him and to recognize that we do need him. And to me, this speaks to why our Father had to send Jesus. Um, just, you know, as the payment, uh, everything he did, his crucifixion, um, his sacrifices, his blood shed was to take care of us. And we can see kind of a picture of how God was trying to teach people of the plan to come. Um, if we turn to Numbers 18, this shows um, how God sets up the priesthood to be intercessors for the people, and it relates to um, the sacrifices that I've talked about here. So if we go to Numbers Chapter 18, go a little farther to the right. We'll start with verse 1. And we'll go down a little ways. So, Numbers 18, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood so this is speaking to being in a position of leadership and being accountable verse 2 also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of levi the tribe of your father that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die, they and you also. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you, which means the Lord has chosen Levites to do this special work along with Aaron and his sons. And you shall attend to the, I'm sorry, verse 5, and you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Behold, I myself, that's the God, the one and only God, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you. 
given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So I would think if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and these guys didn't have a choice. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So verse 8, And the Lord spoke to Aaron, Hear, I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel. I have given them as a portion to you and your sons, as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering, every sin offering, every trespass offering which they rendered to me shall be most holy for you and your sons. In a most holy place you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the heave offering of their gift with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. All the best, and this is where I find the tie-in to uh, Cain's grain offering. So verse 12, all the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their hand which they bring to the Lord shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. And here in verse 15 is the reference, cross-reference to the blood sacrifice. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And those redeemed of the devoted things you shall redeem when one month old according to your valuation for five shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. But the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. I just love that. Let's go just a couple more verses. So verse 18, And their flesh shall be yours, just as the wave breast and the right thigh are yours. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. And verse 20, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Um, to me, that just shows that the Lord is asking for the best. And it isn't necessarily our best. He makes rain to fall so that plants grow 
so that seeds regenerate out of the plants so that we can have more plants, more fruits, more vegetables. Um, the miracle of conception, he gives not only humans, but every living kind that Genesis 1 talks about is preordained by our God, our Father. So, So let's go back to chapter 4 of Genesis. So let's read it again. Verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So even though similar to Cain, or similar to, well, yeah, similar to Cain, the Lord told Aaron, and his sons, that they would have no inheritance, they would still be taken care of. And what I see here is the Lord is still going to take care of Cain. And we see that now in verse 16. So then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So right there, the Lord, even though he went out from the presence of the Lord, there was still a place for him to go. And it's not like God didn't know that. He already made a place for him, and that's what he does for us. You know, throughout our walk in life, he's still preparing a place for us every day. He knows the time or the hour. Uh, when we will no longer be here, but all the while he's preparing a place. And look at more of the blessings that Cain received. So verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city called, and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. I mean, right there, it speaks to God giving Cain the skill the knowledge, the awareness, um, materials, um, perhaps influence on other people to help him build that city. Doesn't say how big the city was, but even if it was half a dozen households on a street block, um, that's quite a feat. <laughs> and then it gives some more genealogy here verse 18 to Enoch was born Erad and Erad begot Mehujael and Mehujael begot Methushael and Methushael begot Lamech and Lamech took for himself two wives the name of one was Ada and the name of the second was Zila and Ada bore Jabel he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock and then verse 21, his brother's name was Jubal, 
He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. Um, to me, this is just amazing because there's um, like talents and skills here that are meted out by God onto this family. And these are generations. There's like three generations here, which just goes to show you if God makes a promise, which he did to Cain, he set a mark on him, which also is a promise. And he basically blessed him even though he committed an atrocious sin, killing his own brother. It doesn't make it right. There are consequences for our sin, and the Bible speaks to that. But God is always faithful to stay with us. I mean, if you think even prisoners in jails here and all around the world, many get saved after going to prison. Sometimes God asks us or allows us to go to the end of ourselves, to the end of our limits. A lot of times, um, like Pastor Rob said this morning, uh, we blockheads, we wind up doing our own things and we go our own way, and yet God always shows himself faithful to make a way when we surrender. Um, okay. So, one of the, um, one of the other points I found, um, interesting here is the Lord Jesus, our Savior, is interceding for us, and as God did for Cain, I mean, to me it's amazing that God had not left um, Adam and Eve and their family alone. He was still present in their lives. And that same concept is available to us. Jesus is available for us. And he's interceding just like uh, the priests were here. And so um, let's go to 1 John 2, if you don't mind. That's way down just before Revelation. So, 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this we know 
that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And that verse 5 there, let's read that again. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. The word perfected kind of struck me. I, I don't know why, but the picture of an oyster came to mind. And I think our pastor has talked about that and other pastors here. But when you look at an oyster, it's all ugly outside. I mean, in our perspective, okay. <laughs> um, it's all craggly and there's nooks and crannies on its shell. and It doesn't really look that pleasing, you know, on first glance. But to make a pearl, that oyster has to sit on the bottom and be buffeted around. Every once in a while it opens up and it filters uh, the water and nutrients from the water to itself. But in that process, sometimes pebbles get lodged within it. And over the process of time and calcification and just whatever chemical process is in that oyster, I don't know how long it takes, but uh, sometimes a beautiful oyster, perfectly symmetrical and round and, you know, pleasing to the eye, comes out. And isn't that what he's doing with us? Every day we run into challenges, but he's not looking at the outside. He's looking at the end and what he's creating in us like right now and everything that he takes through us or takes us through, uh, he promises that there will be an end and it's our choice to choose um, to follow him and to be led by him, to be malleable in his hands just like the potter and the clay, just like an oyster with a pearl inside. That pearl doesn't have any control over what's happening to itself and neither do we when we submit to the Lord and we're obedient to him, he will take the burden and lift our burdens and show us the way. And that's why I love where we were this morning with Pastor Rob, the vine dresser, how the vine dresser takes care of the vines, nurtures the vines, lifts them out of the clay, brushes them off so they can breathe and grow and that's exactly what God does. And the picture I had here is he did that with Cain. He gave Cain another opportunity. And he gives us other opportunities um, just to recognize where we're at. And I think it's important that we continue to remember that the Lord's eyes are never off of us. He always keeps his eyes on us. It's us who get our eyes off of him. And that's when things get tougher. <laughs> um, so let's keep going here. Uh, verse 6. So he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked, meaning Jesus. So brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. 
again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And this, to me, speaks to the Cain and Abel relationship. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now, until Jesus. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So if we're walking in Jesus, we will love our brethren, our brothers, our sisters, not only our own family members, but those around us here in our church family, in our work environment, everywhere. Verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the blindness has blinded his eyes. And that, to me, just reminds me of Cain. He let his emotions, like, rise up in him. Whatever it was, envy, jealousy, maybe recognizing as the oldest brother, he probably should have been taking the lead and coming alongside Abel, his younger brother, to help him. And I find it interesting, it seemed like Abel knew, like, right, right from the beginning, in his actions, it showed faith. Like he knew, maybe hearing from Adam and Eve the story about how God sacrificed an animal, clothed them with the skins. I just kind of would have liked to have been a fly on the wall to hear the conversations between Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Um, okay, so verse... 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So, again, how do we overcome? How do we, like, stay the course? I think we have to keep our eyes open. We have to understand that God's eyes are always on us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. His plans are always for good, as Jeremiah um, exhorts us. And again, in verse 1 here, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. And Honest, I think some translations, uh, verse 1 here says, and when anyone sins, we have an advocate. Uh, there's no doubt that we're not going to be perfect. And God knows that. And that's why he gave us Jesus. And he gives us Jesus and his spirit today so that we can still walk in righteousness and we can uh, 
um, walk through the sanctification process that he has us in right now. So I think I'll stop there. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you so much again for your word. Thank you for just laying out your plan of salvation for us, Lord, in Jesus. Thank you for showing these pictures, Lord, of how you worked all throughout the ages. You put ways in place for people to see you, to be drawn closer to you, to know you. And even in the routines, Lord, back before you came to earth to do away with all of those sacrifices and just the messiness of that. Thank you, Lord, that we can reflect on all of those things through the ages, Lord, that you show us that sin is messy and you have a better place and you've made promises to us that for those that believe and just walk in faith, Lord, and confess that you are Lord over us, you won't leave nor forsake us and you will speak our name in front of your Father and our Father, and you won't be ashamed of us. So, Lord, help us not to be ashamed as we go through our work week next week. Please, Lord, help refresh us and renew our purpose, Lord, in you to be good stewards, strong witnesses for you, Lord, that your light would shine through us brightly that we would be willing, Lord, to be submitted as a result of the love that you have for us. May that mold and shape our hearts, Lord, soften us, and help us be examples of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. It's your, in your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.